It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And on Farmer Fridays, we take your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. We also take emails and we get a number of those we're going to get through here in just a minute. Radio at agphd.com. Okay, so to start the show today, I I wanted to talk real quick about something Darren and I were discussing earlier today. And I think, I don't know if we were talking about this yesterday too, Darren, but color of seed coats. There have been reports of not bleeding hilums, but darker colors and almost striping across some soybean seeds. Explain what's going on and explain the concern that you have for farmers out there. Well, this is something that that we've seen this year where there's been uh, seed coat color color variation. And uh, it's it's interesting because as we have different traits that are on the market, we have germplasm coming literally from all over the world. Uh, You would expect beans are going to look slightly different depending on what you get. And certainly you see it in the plants that are out there. But we're also seeing some things on the seed coat. Well, one of the things, uh, actually there's a grower uh, in northern South Dakota that had this where it had almost a a brown band around the seed from the edge of one hilum all the way around the backside of the seed up to about the edge of the hilum on the other side. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a bleeding hilum, but it was this brown color and it, it wasn't super dark or anything, but, but when the grower took it to a grain elevator, they said, uh, something's wrong. We, we don't want those. Well, they took the seed coat off and inside the beans are perfect. They're yellow. There's no issue. There's no disease. Uh, and what it is in the seed coat is a concentration of iron and isoflavone and that's it. And really there's no issue for almost any use, but, uh, that elevator's like, ah, I don't know, something looks something looks off. And so the grower just drove to the next elevator, uh, actually got a higher price per bushel, <laughs> and he was happy about that. And they took him, and there's no problem. And, you know, why does this happen? There's so many stresses throughout the growing season. And I can't tell you exactly why it would happen or uh, that it's always going to happen because there were other places where they planted those beans didn't have the same thing. There are other growers planting that bean didn't have that happen this year. So not sure what combination of environmental factors led to that, but for some reason there there were some things. Now, certainly there are different color beans. I mean, we've probably all seen a black soybean. We've seen uh, some that have been purple stained with cercospora and different things. This is no disease in this case. And it happened to be on an enlist soybean. So that was the question the grower had too, is, is this common for enlist soybeans? And I would say, no, it's not really common for any soybeans. Have we seen it on enlist soybeans? Yes. Have we seen it on conventional soybeans? Yep, we have. The reason why I thought it was good to start the show with this today is because if you are harvesting right now, you may be bringing grain to a terminal, to an elevator, to a feedlot, wherever, And unfortunately, there may be a situation where they say, oh, we're going to dock your grain for this reason or that. There are legitimate reasons to dock your grain. There are also reasons that are not legitimate. This one is not. And it's important to understand that difference. So let me give you one other example. This has happened to us on our own farm where we get an early frost sometimes. We felt like, oh, the beans are done. They're fit. Everything should be fine. But there's a little bit of green tinge to the seed coat. 
but if you break the bean open, you will see that on the inside, it's mostly yellow. If the bean is mostly yellow on the inside, it will turn completely yellow, usually within a month or two. So there are some cases where you are ahead to just put the grain in the bin, let everything calm down, and let everybody quit their panicking, and then you haul the same exact grain into the same exact place with no dock a month or two or two years in some cases later. So... I, I guess if you are getting docs, talk to somebody and make sure that you're not getting the doc when you shouldn't get the doc because that's going to cost you or could cost you lots and lots of money. All right, let's get to the Yag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Kind of a related email here. This one comes in from Wyatt down in central Missouri. He said, guys, I'm uh, uh, a teenager here uh, in the FFA and want to want a farm someday we're raising corn and soybeans on our farm right now we planted some enlist soybeans it's our second year planting enlist we're about a week or so from harvest usually we're bailing up bean stalks after we're done combining we feed that to our cattle but last winter we lost several cows and we're concerned it might have something to do with the enlist so we had some people no. that told us that it might and we oh talked to gosh. local elevator who sold us the seed and did the spraying and they can't say yes or no if that was the problem just wondering have you ever heard of this before no in the enlist beans no first of all there's nothing in the trait there's nothing in the bean and there is certainly nothing in the chemistry that's going to kill livestock i mean literally and I don't actually do this, but you could let the livestock drink the enlist and it's not going to kill them. So again, I'm not saying to do that, okay? I'm just saying when you look at the LD50, the lethal dose, there's no possible chance that that's the case. Now, why could they have died? I have no idea, but I will promise you this. It's not from the enlist beans if all you did is treated them with enlist. Now, if you had other stuff out there, I don't know what else you did. Okay, and I, I there's nothing I can think of off the top of my head that could have led to this issue. But I'm I'm just saying it's not the chemistry, it's not the trait, it's not the genetics. Those three things I can absolutely 100% guarantee you that did not cause the problem. All right, I uh, get this comment from EM. He said you guys are talking about preventing grain spoilage in storage. Would it work better if you had dehumidifiers or some kind of air dryer filter things on your blower suction? Uh, never heard that before, EM, and maybe in some climates. Uh, it, yeah, but I don't know how you would do that. In a house, it's sealed up. You can't seal up a grain bin. You have to let air continue to move through, which means the humidity is going to continue to move through as well. Yeah, we just use bin fan controls and let them automatically operate when the air humidity levels are low enough. Uh, you could go to farmshopmfg.com for more details on bin fan controls. It's Farmer Friday. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. What's new from New Farm? 
Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us, radio at agphd.com. And sometimes when you send us an email, we answer the question, or at least we think we're answering the question pretty well for the information we've got, but it requires a follow-up phone call to, to talk it through just a little bit more. So if you say, hey, you know what, I, I'd love to send a soil test or send a water quality test or something like that, and then, then call as well, you sure can. That's a great way to do it so we can go back and forth a little bit. And got that situation right now with Paul out in Colorado. We we uh, took our first shot at, at his test yesterday, and uh, he's following up with a call to discuss a little more today. Paul, thanks for calling in. Hey, thanks a lot, Darren. Um, yeah, I just wanted to follow up uh, on on the same same field and samples we talked about yesterday. And uh, I guess you you and Brian had talked a little bit about maybe uh, increasing the the drainage uh, on on that particular field. Uh, one thing we have done is installed some drain gauges, uh, and we do actually have pretty good movement in that soil uh, at 36 inch depth. Uh, we're, you know, we are catching a lot of, a lot of salts and, and overwatering is really why we've, I think we've been able to continue to grow corn on that farm, uh, given as high sodium levels as we have. So I actually think we're moving that through the profile. Um, well, Paul, the reason that I, the reason that I said on. that, Paul, let me, let me comment out. The reason that I said that is I saw high levels of, of sulfur and in some of those tests, uh, the levels were much higher than others. So did those tests come from different fields? Uh, yes, they would have been. Okay. Yep. So so I, I would say where the sulfur tests are higher, that, that would certainly be my concern that normally the sulfur, uh, sulfate sulfur flows right through soil fairly well. Uh, the one test, I think the lowest one had around 80 parts per million, if I remember right. And uh, that might have been the first one that we were talking about here. So that could be... 
you know, maybe we just put on a bunch that year and it hadn't moved through yet. But the other one was hundreds of pounds. And that to me sounded like something that built up for a while. Yeah, they were all pretty much hundreds of pounds. I mean, you had as much as a thousand pounds there. And so, yeah, it was just, it's concerning to us when we see cation exchange capacities, 23, 35, here's another one, 23, and then we've got that much sulfur sitting there. And as that sodium rises, we're going to get less movement down through the soil. So maybe it's moving down through the soil somewhat now, but it's going to get worse and worse as that sodium rises. Yeah, okay. Okay. And the other reason I think our, our, uh, our, our chalk floor is high is because we have been um, putting variable rates uh, based off of uh, the one acre grids we've pulled anywhere from 150 to 250 pounds of, of elemental sulfur in a strip uh, with a soil warrior actually to try to lower the pH because we're also dealing with, uh, you know, seven, eight to eight, two pHs, uh, and, you know, on these couple fields I sent you data on. Sure. Um, so we have been trying to address the pH issue with elemental sulfur, um, and yeah, I was just wondering uh, overall what other what other steps should we be taking, uh, yeah, to continue to grow corn on this ground. Yeah, our real concern is just the the sodium level. I mean, everything else you can pretty well address. So if you start running low on phosphorus or something, you put out more phosphorus. Obviously, you got to put nitrogen out every year, and and especially if you have irrigation, it's pretty easy to spoon feed that. So I mean, there are just some standard things. But the alarming thing to us is when we see five, six, eight uh, percent sodium in your base saturation test. Because I mean, I I know for for sure, when you're in that five to eight percent range, your yield is getting negatively impacted, and that's one thing. But if it gets worse, then at some point it's going to kill your soil. So that that's really our big concern. Now you can flush sodium out if you have great drainage. You can flush that sodium out with sulfur in a lot of cases. You turn it to sodium sulfate, which is a salt, and that's leachable. So. But the other side of this whole thing is when we see your calcium levels down in the 50s percentages and magnesium up around 30, I, I mean, that's it, it's it's not great for drainage. So that's where we'd like to have more calcium out there in relation to the magnesium. And that's also why why both for Darren and me, we said, okay, there's a drainage issue. Not When people hear us say drainage, immediately the thought goes to drain tile. Now, if it's me and it's my ground, I probably would put drain tile out there. But I guess my point here is the bigger factor, most likely in this case, is your calcium to magnesium ratio because there's a lot of magnesium. And the problem with magnesium, it's such a small particle size that nothing can flow through very well when you have so much magnesium. Everything's just tight. There's no pore space. And you just you can't get stuff flushing through as fast as you would like. So those are just some of our concerns. Now, how exactly you want to solve all these things, I mean, that that's uh, it's totally up to you. And we understand throwing more water out there because in the end, if you don't have water in your dry climate of Colorado, you're done. So we get that. But I, I think my comment yesterday was if there's I'd look at going with a deeper well or something else, if it's even possible. I don't know, but all I'm saying is I'm just concerned about your water and the sodium that we continue to throw out there. Right, right, absolutely. Nope, that's, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate your guys' time. 
So yeah, I think yep. that makes sense. I will I will keep you guys uh, yeah informed on. I, we did some gypsum. Uh, we did some strip trials with gypsum and also some lime. So we'll see uh, see how that affects things as sure. well. Sure. The other thing that I'll tell you, Paul, is when you start doing stuff with gypsum and lime and you start looking at that calcium magnesium thing, it's a slow process. I mean, we can see, so Darren and I look at literally thousands and probably tens of thousands of samples each year. And when we see that calcium magnesium thing, what we consider good, so like your magnesium would be down in the 12, 15% kind of range, those yields are typically greater. But to get there, it takes, it feels like it takes forever, especially in our colder climates. I, I mean, it's a 10, 20 year process a lot of times, just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and eventually things start to get really good. So it's hard for a lot of us, like myself, who are really impatient and I want this thing to change now. It's like, I don't want to wait for right. 10 years down the road and oh, all of a sudden things are great. But unfortunately, that's just kind of the way farming is. So even I, all I, the only reason I bring that up is your trials with lime and gypsum, I wouldn't give up on it if in year one, oh, it, it didn't give me a, a boost. Well, continue to look at that over time and just see how that goes. But I, I mean, I, I think you can now see where our big concerns are. Magnesium is right up there on that list. We worry about compaction, but our biggest thing is really that sodium. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks okay. for calling right. in, Paul. Thanks a lot, Brian and Darren. You bet. We'll see you. You bet. Thanks. <clears throat> uh, Brian, uh, I think uh, let me jump into another mailbag question here. We'll get back to callers here right after this short break. We got just a little bit of time. Uh, this one comes from PH and and uh, uh, he said corn sugar bean farmer or sugar cane farmer. Just wondering about fungicide. Do I spray once I see a few leaves showing symptoms, or do I have to spray before I see nothing? Just wondering about scouting and how that can influence timing of spraying that fungicide and also how to get the best performance. Well, if you want to get the best performance, you have to spray before you see anything wrong in your field at all. And it stinks, I know, because it'd be so much easier if, just like insects, you say, okay, I see a few out there. I can kill them now before they've done any harm to me, and I still maximize yield. Yep, we agree with you on that, on insects. On diseases, it just unfortunately doesn't work that way. The way I look at this too, so I'll just give you a quick example myself. So uh, I got sick last week, and I, I could tell the, the bed that I sleep in has uh, a bunch of sensors, and so it's kind of interesting. So I, get, I can get a report literally every day. The bed knew I was sick before I did. A lot of times these plants, they're going to be sick before you see that they're sick. And so by the time you see they're sick and you've scouted and you got leaves, I mean, they're, they're full-blown sick now. And you can't ever recover that. So sure, you could still spray at that point, but you probably have given up a good percentage of the yield you were going to gain by having that fungicide out there. So anyway, I, I just say... We're we're with you. It it stinks because we have we we may have to make the same decisions on our own farm. But we're looking a lot at the economics and past success and if disease is in our area. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... 
you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its cornhead should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago cornheads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears. Self-adjusting deck plates save kernels. Longer knife rollers reduce trash. And aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other cornhead works like a Drago or pays you back like one. See more features and find your Drago dealer at dragotech.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles. The ideal nozzle for dicamba and 2,4-D applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at Pentair.com Hypro. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can email us, radio at agphd.com. But I want to jump back on the phone lines. Waiting patiently is our friend Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG, who wants to talk a little bit about some of these dry soybeans coming out of the field. Man, Tony, uh, 9% beans, That that's just like... I can just see how much money I'm losing harvesting nine percent moisture beans. Uh, I'm betting you're get t- getting tons of calls on these. Uh, Darren, it's it's five percent production. You know, if you can get those things up to thirteen, uh, you're going to pick up an easy five percent in your production. Or as, as I like to say, it's an extra semi load out of your twenty thousand uh, bushel bin. Wow. Uh, it's big math, and the uh, the thing about it, it's everybody I talk to has got 9 10% beans across the whole Midwest, whether Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, the Dakotas, uh, Minnesota. 
and everybody is wanting to get these back rehydrated. And uh, the thing about it, it's so awesome. If we just talk about that 20,000 bushel bin, we're talking about a semi-load of beans, fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, and a control system for that will cost you a little over $3,000. Uh, it's you pocket 10,000 bucks the first year plus a little. Okay, Tony, couple questions then to follow up on that, because I, I have gotten some questions on this too. And I got one from a guy who said, okay, you talk about these bin fan controls, but I've got October contracts. Uh, there's only three weeks left in October. Is there time? Can I put a significant amount of moisture back in my beans in three weeks time? Uh, very good question. Excellent question. I often, am asking people, there's two things I ask. How big is their fan and how soon have they, are they, their beans contracted for? The, uh, if, they've, uh, if they're, getting, they're leaving in a week or two, uh, you better have a really big fan to move a lot of air through there so we get a lot of water. The next thing is where are they located and what is the humidity doing now? If you're seeing uh, good humidity the grass, things like that, uh, we're going to get a lot of stuff done if you got decent fan power. The the thing that's uh, really bad is it always surprises me. You'll come across somebody who's got a 15,000 bushel bin with a horse and a half or a three and a half horse fan. They're just not moving a lot of air through. The, uh, the ones to me where we can move, a, we can get a lot done in three weeks if we've got uh, wet mornings. Uh, if you got one horsepower per thousand bushels, um, you'd be surprised how much you get done in two, three, four weeks. Okay. But the uh, if we're in we're in a part of the country that the humidities are low yet, uh, September to me is notorious for being drier. October we're getting better moistures, but there's still parts of the country that their humidities are still low, and that makes it more difficult. All right, one other question, Tony. We we froze last night. And we get guys all the time saying, okay, uh, when I get those nights that it gets down into the 20s or maybe 30 degrees uh, up in the northern part of the United States and up into Canada, is that the time to be running the fans? Uh, if, you're wanna, if, you're, if you freeze your beans, uh, you're ending your process on changing the moisture in them. The, um, I tell people to set their fan controls at 33. When it gets below 33 shut the fan off the uh and it's really kind of interesting that even here i'm on the iowa minnesota border uh we will still be doing moisture management in through a lot of december i'll see quite a few hours of fan runtime in december if i'm still working on my stuff the uh by january uh january a lot of it's over unless we get a nice january thaw but uh December, November is a very good month, uh, and uh, you'll have warmer days in December that uh, our temperatures in the uh, 33 and above, and generally it carries decent humidity with it too. Yeah, it's interesting as you track the weather, and, and we all do as farmers, but now looking at it just a little different way, looking at what humidity percentages are, looking at the air temps and so forth, for adding some moisture back into soybeans or taking moisture out of some wet corn that goes into the bin. Uh, one of the experts out there is Tony Wendler at Farm Shop MFG. You can find out more at his website, farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thank you so much. You always bring great uh, great info for us, a three or four to one return 
on investment in one year, putting BinFan controls on as possible this year. That's pretty amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks, Darren. You have a great weekend. You bet. You as well. Uh, let's head down to Arkansas. I've got Jacob with us. Probably not worried about freezing temps down there yet, but how you doing, Jacob? All right. How are y'all? You know, pretty good. Pretty good. How are you guys coming on harvest? Uh, we're done with grain. Been done with grain. And by the end of the day, we'll be halfway done with cotton. And we're just trying to stick anything with four wheels on it in the field and get some dirt work done. Awesome. Awesome. How's uh, how's harvest in your area? Is it good yields, good performance? Uh, hit and miss. Um, you're aware of because y'all probably dealt with the same thing. Uh, a lot of heat, a lot of dry weather this summer, even with our ability to irrigate. You know, you're still looking at, at 100 degree days at some times, some uh, 75 to 78 degree nights. That didn't help. Um, then it was 30 to 40 to 50 days without a, a rain event. You know, like I said, we have irrigation, but irrigation nothing like a good rain. So some folks had some, some low yields. Uh, we were fortunate enough not to be in that same boat for the most part. But you know, <laughs> that doesn't mean it couldn't happen next year. That no. happened last year. Yeah, that's for that's for sure. Now you mentioned doing field work at this time. What what happens on your farm? Is it tillage to get rid of compaction? Is it putting on fertility? Is it getting ready for a cover crop? What what kind of jobs are getting done out there? It's getting the beds back in shape, uh, putting fertility out in front of it, getting some cover crops out, getting some ground ready for uh, wheat. We booked some wheat. We hadn't grown wheat in several years, but we we caught. I'm not going to say the high, but we caught the market where we wanted it. Put a little wheat, and got to get that planted now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no no rest. I mean, not like harvest season isn't busy enough, but you just listed about yeah. four or five extra jobs that farmers have. So we know that you have to run right. some long hours to get all that stuff done. What are some of the modern tools that, that are really helping you do that? Is it auto steer? Are there some mapping programs you're using? What, what kind of things are, are making this easier? Uh, auto steer, obviously, I mean, I, if that ever got taken away from us, I don't know what we'd do. Um, variable rate fertility, high-speed fertility. Uh, we got a new high-speed uh, fertilizer cart this year, and some stuff that was taking us, you know, two or three days to do, we're doing in a day. And when you're able to turn out that kind of efficiency, you know, they just open things up to go do something else. Okay, this job is done, or this, this section's done. Now, let's set that off, go do something else, and, and get done faster the earlier next year because everything's ready to go and all you got to do is drop in there and put the seed in the ground um, the better off we are you know we got an early start this year we bred an early harvest uh we were able to get our crop out and get it either binned or delivered before the river fell out and that was a huge advantage for us some guys weren't afforded that advantage and if they didn't have contracts or were longtime members at certain places uh, they're not getting to, to move along like they should. Fortunately for our local area, that's not as prevalent, but as you move up the Arkansas River, or excuse me, Mississippi River Delta, that's going to become more and more of a problem. And on top of that, basis is widening significantly. Uh, we went from a pretty good-sized negative basis to a pretty good-sized positive basis just by leaving a few beans in the bin uh, for 30, 35 days. 
Wow. Yeah, that makes a big difference, no doubt about that. And I, I was thinking about the early planting, too, with all the heat that you guys had. I know for, for us, a lot of guys will say, man, if I can get planted early, I can try and beat that heat and, and get to, to pollination, get to those critical stages before it gets too darn hot. And, and you know, there may be some daytime highs that are that are really high, but at least we get cooler nights. And as you get into the middle of the summer, then those nights, like you were just describing, Jacob, get to be awfully warm, too, and the crop just never gets a break. Hey, we're talking to Jacob down in Arkansas. Jacob, thank you so much for the call. Really appreciate it. And good luck here as you wrap up harvest with cotton and all the other jobs that you're trying to get done. Yes, thank you. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Compromise is nice. If you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitech fungicide. Fast-acting and long-lasting. Preventative and curative. Disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill. And take your full prize in yields with Revitech fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPHD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPHD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPHD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Every week for more than two decades, AgPHD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. 
Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. we got Dan down in Nebraska on with us right now, uh, out doing a little harvest. Dan, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, finished up soybeans a couple days ago, and uh, bath on corn. Outstanding, outstanding. So we're hearing uh, all over the board on corn yields in Nebraska, depending on where guys are at, and dry land versus irrigated. You into some irrigated corn or dry land stuff? We're pretty much all irrigated. We're in the south central area. Uh, everything's irrigated except for seven corners and a few little small dry land fields. I know and, there were, uh, there were a lot of storms through. Uh, South Central Nebraska this year too. How how did you fare? Did you did you miss the worst of it? <laughs> Good question. Um, this was my lucky year. Um, we've probably had last four or five years. We've had wind storms. Oh, all the way from the V six to uh, tassel every year, and pretty much almost every acre was gooseneck for the last four or five years, and. Uh, uh, really never knew how much that affected our yield. You know, we had uh, good insurance coverage, but uh, it helped. Uh, but you never, you know, we always had disappointing yields. This year, uh, from what I'm hearing in my immediate area, uh, yields are really good. Um, I haven't done enough uh, to really know for sure, but yeah, you are correct. Uh, there was probably, not probably, there was five wind hail, bad wind hail events in the south central part of the state, and they were all around us, and actually two of the storms came within a mile of some of our fields, so we were extremely lucky. We lost one pivot early, uh, but uh, there were so many pivots that were blown over and everything. And oh, it was just some crazy. Some never even got replaced. It was crazy and driving some through. Some never got replaced. So. Yeah, driving through this summer, Dan, I was like, how many how many pivots got lost here? And when when well, will they even be able to get them all going again? Yeah, some didn't. Uh, I guess the, the lucky ones had the early storm uh, in our immediate area. But actually, the first storm, I was at a, that was kind of coincident, I uh, was speaking with Randy Dowdy on uh, December 15th in, in Grand Island. And we had a huge wind come through that day, and we actually lost a pivot. Uh, there was probably 350 pivots north uh, northwest of New York that got flipped. And, and there was, like I said, I think four storms or so since then. And they all took probably that 250, 300 pivots. So uh, it was difficult for a lot of people this yeah. year. Yeah, it sure was. No, no doubt about that. Okay, so you got the beans all done. Uh, you get the corn done here. Man, we're we're rolling a lot. It's October seventh. There's quite a bit of harv- or quite a bit of fall season left. What happens after corn's all done? Is it uh, fall fertility? Is it tillage? Uh, what do you do at that point? Well, we still got a couple of weeks of corn left. Uh, we we strip till everything now. Uh, we added a second machine here a year ago. Uh, we strip till everything, corn and beans, and apply dry fertilizer to all those acres okay. uh, according to, you know, what's needed. So, and that that is if it rains. Uh, we're extremely dry, and quite frankly right now, I don't know if we can uh, strip till it's so dry. Ground so hard, but I guess we'll worry about that in a couple of weeks. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah, you got got uh, a lot of other things to worry about here for the next couple of weeks uh, between now yeah. and then. Well, I'm glad you missed the storms. That that uh, that was a bad deal driving through that that area of of Nebraska. But Dan, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. All right. Thank you. You bet. Let's head over to Kentucky. Got our friend Joel on with us right now. Joel, how's it going? It's going good. Awesome. So, uh, how's harvest? How's harvest moving along for you guys? You guys still on soybeans? Uh, we we started uh, cutting single crop beans here in the last week, and uh, yields are all over the place depending on field location and what rain it got. I'm actually custom cutting a field of single crop beans right now on the uh, state line over on the Tennessee side, and. Uh, they're actually running in the 60s, which has been the best beans we've been in so far. Yeah, in a tough year, that's uh, that's a pretty nice yield for sure. So you do some custom yeah. custom combining too. That means you get to see how everybody else is doing out there. What what do you think? I mean, you certainly learned some lessons. You see the good things guys do. You see the things you want to avoid for your own farm. It's got to make you a better farmer. Yeah, well... Uh, this this fella here, uh, his major crop is uh, raising tobacco, and he raises some good dark-fired and air-cured tobacco that ends up uh, being a wrapper on a cigar. So it 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 the ground gets fertilized and taken care of real good to raise that crop. When he plants a bean crop, he doesn't add any fer- fertility. He tries to use up some that the tobacco crop didn't use, and we've been cutting for him for probably over six years now, and if he gets the rainfall, it's not out of the question to get up in that 70 and bump into the low 80 uh, yield on single crop beans. He's basically raising beans on the area that he's going to rotate tobacco into later. Very interesting. Now, talk about that tobacco just a little bit. And I know guys talk about the fertility program for that, and they're very fussy about it. Uh, is that micronutrients? Is there one of the primary nutrients they really have to load up on? What What's different about that tobacco fertility program? I'm going to take a guess and say that he probably loads up on, on the main uh, potash and phosphorus mainly, but he... He spreads a terrible lot of pounds, and, and the reason I say that, I've seen them spreading fertilizer before. It it leaves a ten on the ground from the amount of pounds he puts <laughs> down. <laughs> that so, is not cheap to do this year. Oh my goodness, fertility prices no, are crazy. No, and I'm not saying that he didn't make a change, but I know that he has a lot of fertility left because sometimes he might have beans. Uh, Three at least three years before he comes back with tobacco again. He he does that mainly but to keep his costs down. He doesn't have any grain storage, and he doesn't want to fool with the extra expense of raising corn and taking a chance that that'll pay out. And uh, so beans are what they are for him, and uh, it's worked out good. I mean, this is the first year in several years that, that we've took taken it on a chin because of a lack of moisture. Yeah, it's uh, quite a year, no doubt about that. So as you get done with beans, you yeah. got you got quite a ways to go on the beans, did you say? Uh, still got, what, over 300 acres of beans because we still got some single crop beans of our own uh, to harvest. And then when we get done with them, uh, of course, we've got no-till beans that were planted after wheat was harvested. 
and uh, they're just turning turning good and yellow and starting to drop their leaves. So it's going to be a little bit uh, before they're ready to harvest. So our our harvest window is stretched out on soybeans because of the two different crops. We are feeling way ahead this year in general in our area. Guys are like, man, we're doing great. Everything's going well. We're, we're ahead of schedule. How about you? Is this normal timing for you, or are you running a little ahead or a little behind? We started out running a little behind on corn shelling, and we think maybe some late-season rains uh, kept some life in the corn, and we had to wait for the moisture to drop down some more. Now, the beans have been sped up because of the lack of moisture during their time that they needed it the worst, and we cut some single-crop beans in September, and can't claim that we've ever done that before so it it's just back and forth yeah it's an interesting year no doubt about it. a lot of variability out there and it's one of the neat things with farming going into next year now we've got to adjust our management programs and a lot of this ground for for all the variability that's out there to try to have the best crop we can uh talking to joel yeah. down in kentucky who's doing a lot of work he's wasn't happy enough just being super busy on his own farm he's doing some custom work for others joel thank you so much <laughs> stay stay safe down there all right thanks it's farmer friday on ag phd radio we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD It came on a night like any other, with power unlike anything else on Earth. Using beyond advanced active ingredients like bicyclopyrone, Acuron GT post-emergence corn herbicide is here to annihilate tough weeds. Advanced technology, enhanced control. Talk to your Syngenta retailer about Acuron GT. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com slash howler. Did you know 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for less with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG. Specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. 
That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We get Sam with us now up in North Dakota. Sam, what are you busy on today? Oh, I'm out uh, fixing some ruts from this spring, uh, doing some pro-tilling and uh, trying to get the field smoothened off again for next year. You know, getting that seed bed prepped for next year is a big deal. And for growers in some parts of the country, they don't really understand the challenge that farming in North Dakota is. Because when does the frost come out in your ground, Sam? Is it mid-April, maybe late April? Uh, depends on the year. Um, usually mid, mid to late April is our time frame. But, of course, this year at mid-April, we were sitting with, 30 some inches of snow on the ground so um it's just uh it's different year to year so we just got to take what we can get yeah it's it's quite a (laughs) quite a season no doubt but you say you're fixing those ruts up leveling things off uh is there winter wheat on your farm or, or what goes in next uh no winter wheat we haven't grown winter wheat for a couple of years now um it depends on the fields. Um, we, we're kind of in a rotation where we grow uh, field peas or lentils, and then um, if it works out, we like to follow uh, that with a canola crop um, because of uh, little residue. The ground's nice and flat from rolling. You get a good seed bed. Um, it's black for quicker emergence with the uh, canola. And then uh, we follow canola with a wheat crop, durum or spring wheat. Um, we found that wheat on, on behind canola is anywhere from 10 to 20 bushels better than recrop. Um, so that's typically how we like to rotate things around, and um, that's been the, the best scenario for us so far. Yeah, a lot of guys have been talking about the Durham up there. The yields have been pretty good. The profitability has been pretty good on that. Uh, what was your best crop this year? Which I know in North Dakota, like you, well, you just mentioned a whole list of crops there. Was there one that kind of stood out above the rest? This year, uh, it was a really good yellow pea yield uh, year. Um, our yellow peas have, uh, I, I haven't heard of a bad yellow pea yield yet in my area. Um, for me, it was awesome. Um, prices are starting to really come back, and with those with minimal inputs on them, um, 
they're penciling out to be a uh, uh, pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, money maker. Followed by, I would probably say Durham. Um, we had pretty good Durham yields in the area, and prices on that is starting to come back really nicely. So, um, I would say probably yellow peas on my farm would be the first, followed by probably Durham second. Yeah, it's good. To, I love the diversity of a lot of the farms in North Dakota. You just never know what's going to be the best place. And and I like one other thing you mentioned there, Sam, too. Uh, minimal inputs on some of these crops. If you've got a crop that doesn't take a lot, that's a good thing going into this next year because it doesn't look like uh, input prices are going to give us any break. No. Um, I'm actually try pricing out some uh, um, fertilizer for uh, – fall spreading and um, getting kind of shocked with the prices. I didn't think they would be quite as bad as they are, but they are, and so might have to rethink rethink the rotation for next year again. Well, no doubt about that. And, and you know, talking to Sam up in North Dakota, he's out fixing up some ruts and, and getting the seed bed all prepped so he can, can go one of several different ways on crops. It's one of the things that diversity gives you a chance to to mix things up a little bit to make the most money on your farm. Hey, Sam, you're busy. We'll let you run, but thanks so much. Really appreciate hearing what's going on up there. Yep, no problem. Good to hear from you guys. Uh, let's head over to northeast Indiana. We've got Anita on right now with a question. Anita, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I have daughter that showed up in my red clover. I It's uh, kind of a new-to-us weed, or parasitic weed, they say, because it doesn't have roots, just lives off the host plant. And I was going to follow up with soybeans uh, next year, and I was wanting to know, because uh, my agronomist said that the only way to get rid of it is to kill the host plant. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to go down and mow the, the clover off, but, you know, when the beans come up, am I going to have problems, and how do I control it if it comes back? So fortunately in soybeans, both prowl and trifluralin are actually, they actually will give you fairly decent control of daughter. What we will okay. typically tell you is if this is a problem right now, you want to kill off your clover and any plants now, and then you go into spring, clean, tillage will make a difference as well. And then you you put yeah, down no yeah I figured uh, you put <laughs> you, put, you, put, you put down trifluralin or or uh, or pendimethalin and you're in good shape okay so if you are in no till and you don't want to do the tillage yeah. which again that the, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with no till or strip till because we've done a bunch of that over the years too it's just it changes the weed spectrum a little bit so that's why we end up sometimes with some of these weeds that we go what in the world is this and why do I have this problem well it's because we've changed our tillage practices and that's fine it, there are ways to, to handle this but it just it's a little different than what we used to have to do so our suggestion typically like I was saying is if you've got some perennial plant that's going to live through the winter well that's going to host that daughter through the winter as well so if you could right. potentially kill that off this fall and I realize you may not want to do that but I'm just saying that would be if you want to take that extra step that's going to help otherwise then you just go into the spring with that kill off the clover put your prowl out there at the same time you're killing off the clover and then you're hopefully going to be in pretty good shape with those soybeans are they roundup ready soybeans are going to be they're going to be they're going to be punish um gotcha with yep yep so that 
I can still use the prowl with that? Absolutely. Okay. All right. I don't want to have to kill off my soybeans to get rid of the daughter. <laughs> nope. We don't want you to have to do that either. But again, I would say if you are worried about it, oh, oh, and you could do this too. If you want to try just, let's say a small spot, let's say you've got, uh, well, how many acres are we talking about here? I'm 58. Okay. So let's just say you did one little strip on the side where you have some daughter and you kill it off this fall with Roundup. And okay. it, so, so that clover's dead. And then you do everything that we just talked about next spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and then you see. So that way, at least you'll have your own answer to go, okay, if that ha- this happens to me in the future, I'm going to unfortunately have to take that extra step, make sure I kill stuff off in the fall. Because that way I know we've got it. Yes. That way I know we've got it. It's just... Um, if we're going to leave everything no-till, let the clover go into the spring, and you're not going to kill it off well in advance of when you're going to plant those soybeans, I think we'll do a good job, but I know we'll do a good job the other way. You see where I'm going with this. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, okay. uh, thank you so much. You bet. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep. All right. Get this question that came in from Dean up in central Alberta, Canada. He said, guys, get alkaline soil. I'm wondering, is there a chemical, is there an additive on the market that you can use to help neutralize an alkaline soil? If so, uh, what would we do? We've got a few problem areas in our fields. Okay, I assume where this is coming from are, is there are a number of companies that sell what we call soil surfactants. And you can get a little bit better penetration with rainwater, with even crops might grow just a little bit better in the short term. There are a lot of these products that are used in golf courses, for example, to get better water infiltration stuff because you end up with some of these alkali spots and it's it's a real challenge. As I say that, the long-term fix is something completely different. Long-term, what we want to see, we'd like to look at your soil test and then see, all right, what what are we short on? What's really going on there? Because typically in those alkali spots, here's what we saw on our own farm, and here's how we fixed it, just as an example. So if I go back to 2007, we had a lot of these alkali spots. We put in drain tile. We put more calcium on and raised our calcium level so we had a more porous soil. We've done everything we can to build soil organic matter. We're just talking about no-till and strip-till and those kind of things as opposed to conventional till. So over time, then, we've got better drainage, better soil porosity. We've reduced the alkaline problem. Eventually, if you if you really want to push things or need to, you can put some more sulfur out there. That will also help a little bit. But you got to fix the drainage first. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. Thanks to you for listening today. We always have fun on the Farmer Friday show, especially during harvest. Get a lot of, a lot of really good updates from all over. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Shark Farmer Radio.